Lord Jesus, God, we just um, come before you and we're, we just invite you here, Holy Spirit, to be at the center of this meeting, God, and we pray that you would open up our hearts, that you would manifest yourself to us, that we would know you uh, better we would come to know you better, Lord, the heights, the depths, the widths, and the lengths of your love. Lord, I just pray right now for a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation to just encompass us, and that this wouldn't just be um, a teaching, but it would open up the word to our hearts, Lord. You would do what you do best. You would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and you would open up our eyes with a spirit of revelation so that we can truly know you deeply. And we just ask you for that. Um, We give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, does everybody have notes? So just by way of review, this is the eighth message in um, the work of the Holy Spirit. And what was on my heart to do in these eight messages is to take a little bit different angle than what we might think of when we think of teachings on the Holy Spirit. Um, A lot of times, at least in maybe charismatic world, when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of baptism of the Holy Spirit. We speak speaking in tongues. We think of signs, wonders, miracles, anointings, that kind of thing, and all of that I believe in (laughs) and is good. Um, But what I wanted to focus on more in this series is kind of the work of the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification inside of us, (laughs) our growth in Him, and what does that look like, um, and just unpack some Bible verses. So... Just by way of review, I think the main point, um, which I've been saying every week, is that the Holy Spirit conforms us so that we look like Christ, so that we can be Christ to our neighbor, so that we can say, like Paul, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me and through me. Um, So that process, that work of the Holy Spirit conforming us to Christ is the main uh, point of this whole series. And I think it's the main point of our lives. (laughs) When you get right down to it, this is the main point. (laughs) That we would be completely transformed in our inner man and completely conformed to Christ. So that it's no longer I who live. Think about that. Christ living his life again through us. What does that look like? So um, that's the main point. And um, we talked about this on other weeks. But the way that kind of part of the process of that transformation is one, we get born again. And then by the grace of God, um, we acquire virtues. Um, And what that looks like is, after we get saved, and I think we all have a testimony of this, suddenly we have grace to do things. We have grace to obey in some ways. We have grace to 
put off the old man and put on the new. We have grace to put away sin, whereas maybe we didn't, maybe we couldn't stop that addiction, but then we became born again and we had grace to stop whatever that was, you know? And then we begin to practice these virtues in the grace of God and we increase in holiness. So acquired virtues, it's kind of like the beginnings. Um, Then the second way is the infused virtues. That is completely a work of the Holy Spirit, whereby he infuses who he is, who Christ is, into us. And it's completely not of our doing at all. It's just an infusion. (laughs) And um, that takes us to another level of supernatural abilities that we never could have had on our own. Um, practicing doesn't get us to the infused part. It's just sometimes the Lord just says, okay, I'm infusing now <laughs> myself. Um, in the prayer room, I go over and over these verses all the time. Um, you've heard me pray it probably if you've been in here during intercession. But Revelation 5, 6, just going to turn there real quick because I feel like it's such an important verse can't get away from it. I've been in it for like five years. Sorry, everybody. I'm just going to keep praying this verse over and over and over. But um, there's much more we can glean from it. And Revelation 5, 6, it says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. Okay, seven horns means all power. Seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Okay, the seven spirits of God, we know those, that's what we've been studying, from Isaiah 11, verse 2. And here it is in the notes. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might or fortitude, the spirit of the knowledge of God, or you could say the knowledge of God and godliness, knowledge and piety, it can be translated, and he will be filled with the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Okay, so those are the seven spirits of God. Revelation 5, 6 says he sends those out. And who does he send them out to? So Second Chronicles 16, 9 we see the same wording, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are given over to him or those whose hearts are in agreement with him. So how does he strongly support them? He does that by sending out of himself from his being, his character, these seven spirits infusing them into us, giving us these. That's how it happens. He's looking for those people, and then he is sending out of himself so that he would infuse who he is into us, and it's these seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the really awesome part of this is um, Zechariah 4.10. Because Zechariah 4.10 puts this all into the context of building the house of prayer. It's really amazing. 
how these things tie together. Zechariah 4.10 says, I'm just going to get it in front of me. For who has despised the day of small things? Okay, this chapter is talking to the people who are rebuilding the temple after it was destroyed, which is called the house of prayer in the Bible. They were rebuilding that. And it's in that context, and it says, For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven, they're speaking of the seven eyes of the Lord again, right here. These seven rejoice to see the plumb line, or the beginning, or the vertical, in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Okay, so you've got the context of building house of prayer, You've got he's these eyes of the Lord again fixing his gaze on those who are building a house of prayer. And he's the plumb line, I see that as vertical. That's like those who would be in agreement with God, right? They are establishing first commandment in first place. They're establishing God is first. I just see that as the plumb line. That is the beginning, but it's also establishing vertical. And um, he's looking for those who are in agreement with how he's doing things. That's 2 Chronicles 16.9. He's looking for those who are in agreement with him, with his plan, so that he can send out of himself, infuse us with his Gifts, those character traits, those gifts of the Holy Spirit, supernatural gifts, so that we might carry out his plan in the earth, which is to build house of prayer. And I don't just mean IHOP. <laughs> I mean the whole church, right, is to become a house of prayer because that's what he calls us. My house of, you know, the whole body, right? At the end of the day, when Jesus comes back, he's going to have a praying bride, the spirit and the bride will be crying out, come Lord Jesus, come. In unity, in the place of prayer, in the place of wholeheartedness, devotion. Right? So this is going to spread to his whole bride. And um, he rejoices to see the beginning of it. Zechariah 4.10. Right? So the body of Christ is not there yet. Um, we're not mature yet. We still have a long way to go, I think. <laughs> and I think because of the trials and tribulations that we are experiencing in our day, we're kind of seeing the fissures and the fractures of the body, right? As well as the world, right? But it's even in the body of Christ, we're like, whoa, right? So much fear, so much division, so much angst, right? It's exposing where we're at, which is a mercy of God's. Because if we know where we're at, we can go... Okay, Lord, this is where I'm at. I need to repent of this, that, and the other thing. I need to renounce this, that, and the other thing. I need to get into agreement with you. I need to get in the place of prayer. <laughs> you know, many responses, right? So the Lord is going to keep shaking his body and the earth to bring about his purposes and his plans so that sooner we can get into agreement with what he's doing, Jesus as the leader of the whole world, right? The sooner we get into agreement with that and position ourselves and be receiving of this sevenfold infusion, right, then we can be truly his messengers, his forerunners in the earth. So 
Anyways, that was a little bit of a side route, but I think it's important to what this is all about, what is going on with these seven eyes, with the seven spirits of God, and what the Lord wants to do in each one of our lives and how we need to be positioned ourselves in agreement with what he's doing and in he's building house of prayer in the earth. That's what he's doing. Um, so then I go into what are the gifts and I kind of give you that definition here. I'm not going to go through all of those because we've done that on other weeks. But I left you the definitions there in brief form. Um, then I start talking about here the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, and so the um, the fruit of the Spirit. I'm gonna I'm gonna review this a little bit. Um, if you look at paragraph A under four. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete or the consoler, the comforter. The Christian life does not erase suffering that comes with life in a fallen, sinful world. Rather, God uses the pains of this life to purify the heart. The call to the Christian is to take up our cross and follow in the path of Christ. Um, And even Jesus prayed this. I do not pray you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. Paragraph B, the Holy Spirit gives us the consolation of hope. When we obey the Lord, we have in our heart, quote, the substance of things to be hoped for. Okay, we can be encouraged even when the whole world is despairing, right? We can be hopeful and encouraged. Paragraph C, another consolation the Holy Spirit gives to the soul is that of the joy of suffering. God knows how to exactly proportion the joys and sorrows to bring about his ways in our life. Though we mostly detest the trials that come our way, these same trials help us to detach from this world. They purify us. They cause us to love God without strings attached. And they open our eyes to his infinite love for us. And I think all of us can attest to that when we go through something. Right? What do we do? We kind of throw ourselves into God, you know, and then we we learn of His consoling, His His deep comfort, His um, and those become dear to us then because we remember instead of remembering how this trial or that trial, we remember how the Lord, what the Lord did, and how He consoled our hearts and how He helped us. Right, uh, page three, so. The fruits of the Spirit are listed in Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, so the fruits of the Spirit, they have two characteristics. One, they presuppose a certain degree of maturity. So even as a plant, right, has to grow up first before it can produce fruit, that's how these fruits are as well. So... We have the acquired virtues, then we have the infused virtues, then we have the fruits. So that's kind of the process of the growth. Um, The fruits also produce a sweetness on the inside, in the interior of our soul. So these, the sweetness, you know, the kindness of God, his goodness, his faithfulness, like we can get really filled with the sweetness of the Lord. 
Um, that's what these fruits do produce. And then the Lord is, he's, he's coming to us, to the garden that's in our hearts, right? If each one of us is like the garden for him, you know, we have the soil in the garden of our hearts and he's tilling that soil. He's pulling out weeds, you know, he's planting himself. And then these fruits, these things are growing and he comes to, you know, this is a lot of language in the Song of Solomon. We've been doing that set during the week, but he comes to my sister, my spouse, right? He comes to, comes into the garden to gather his myrrh, his spices. He's looking for fruit in our lives. He's looking for that. And, and we are like a garden to him and he wants to come and gather the fruits. And then I'm not going to go through all of the fruits, but I, I left the definitions there from last week because um, they're good to just read over, and I just didn't want to abbreviate them because there's so much in there that is really good that you could kind of go back and just review um, the different aspects of the fruits. Um, but what I want to land on is the Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes are really... They speak of the fullness of Christ. So when you read the Beatitudes, you're really looking at Christ enfleshed. That's the Beatitudes. So um, he, that's what he is making us into as well. Um, so to be ordered to Christ such that all of our faculties, our, our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions are under the full direction of our spirit where Christ is ruling and reigning on the inside of us. This is true beatitude. Okay, This is true and enduring happiness. Um, we long for Christ to appear in his second coming because when we see him, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Right. So even on this side, when we gaze at him in the spirit, we are being transformed um, we're waiting for a complete full transformation when we see him face to face but even on this side we can touch these realms of glory on page five um, number c the more we fix our gaze above on the heavenly reality which belongs to us even now the more we enter into this holy beatitude or holy happiness we can truly have heaven on earth even now. The more we gaze on him in this life, the more our union manifests and the more heaven breaks out on earth in us and through us to the world around us. We must get more in touch with longing for him, longing for the day of his appearing, longing for our eternal resting place in fullness, longing for fullness. This longing produces the Beatitudes in our hearts and gives us an eternal perspective. It gives us all we need to endure troubles of this age, for we are living for another age. And I was thinking of Matthew 9.15. You know that scripture where he says, it's talking about fasting, John the Baptist. Why do your disciples fast and mine don't? You know, all that, that whole passage. And what does Jesus say? Um, he says Jesus said to them can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them but the days will come and the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast okay that word mourning there is longing they're longing for him right 
So when Jesus was with us physically, that wasn't necessary. But when he ascended to heaven, the way that they would get in touch with him was through fasting. They could experience Christ with them in that place. I don't know why that works exactly, but it does. You ever try fasting? You just, your spirit wakes up, you know, and that could be fasting sleep, that could be fasting food, giving up something, right? It enlarges our hearts and we experience Christ in that place. And so um, that gets cultivated and it develops this longing. Like we want the Lord. And at the, at the fullness of time, when the whole spirit and the bride are crying out, come Lord Jesus, right? That is the fullness manifestation of longing of all, right? The whole bride just going, come Lord Jesus, come. Right, That will be longing expressed at the highest level. And when that happens, he will be like, I am coming. <laughs> I'm coming right now. So we need to get in touch with that and get our eyes in those heavenly realms. Because then we won't be so disturbed at what's going on down here, for one thing. <laughs> you know, we will be detached from this world and attached to him and the, and the age to come. Um. D, the Beatitudes can be seen as mountain peaks where each one is a stepping stone on the mountain that leads to God. They are heaven on earth. And when we touch on these Beatitudes, we touch the hem of his garment and we get infused with heaven's atmosphere. So these Beatitudes, which I listed there, think of them in terms of Christ. This is the fullness of Christ. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you can just see, like, when I picture Christ, you can see all of these attributes in him at the highest level, you know. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I have a quote here from Luis Martinez. All the Beatitudes are lofty mountaintops. But there is a constant ascension from the first ones to the last, which seem to touch the very sky. What is sublime vista? First, the joy of detachment, the sweetness of tears, then the fullness of justice and the gentleness of mercy, and very near to heaven, the light of purity, the peace of love, and the ecstasy of martyrdom. Paragraph E, the first step on the road that leads up the ascent of the fullness of God mountaintop is poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is really just being completely detached. That's what that is. This step upward is repentance because it means that we do a full turning away from the world. We detach and a full turning toward God and his ways. We must renounce the world completely, for one cannot ascend and descend at the same time. You can only go up or down. You cannot do both at the same time. 
The deceitfulness of riches, honors, and pleasure of this world stands in the way. However, the gospel spells it out clearly. But woe to you, rich, for you are now having your comfort. Woe to you who are filled, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you, all men who speak, when all men speak well of you. And then another verse, for the kingdom of heaven does not consist in food and drink, but in justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The paragraph G, the first three Beatitudes teach us to die to ourselves, that we might truly live. And the first Beatitude of poor in spirit speaks of total detachment. And just think of Jesus, how he had no self-preservation in him, right? Part of the detachment thing is... It, it rids us of self-preservation, which is going to be super important in the days to come. This detachment will bring freedom to the heart. It purifies and raises the soul up to heavenly bliss because it plants the treasures of heaven in the soul. The one who is perfectly detached can be perfectly attached to him. Okay, the second beatitude, the gift of tears or mourning. This is another quote I really liked from Luis Martinez. Pleasure is deceitful because it promises happiness that does not exist. Tears are true because they express the vanity of human things. Pleasure is the enemy of love because it is egoistic. Tears either come from love or they lead to it. I just love that. Um, paragraph I, in contrast to the first three, three Beatitudes that teach us to die to ourselves, the last four teach us to live in Christ, the resurrected life. The old man must first die, then the resurrection can take place. Um, and then I just thought about how many in the body of Christ are trying to live the resurrected life without first dying. This does not work. <laughs> And I just thought of that verse about, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, right? But he who does the will of my Father, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons and done many wonders? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, right? That's such a sobering verse, right? But... I thought of it like signs and wonders have the appearance of Christ-likeness, right? From the outside, you see somebody do a sign or a wonder, and you think, oh, they must be really intimate with Christ to be able to do that. But that's not necessarily true. They might just be operating in their gifting. (laughs) Because the Lord gives out gifts without repentance. Even if they're not repentant, they they can have the gift of the Lord and anointing and be moving in signs and wonders and being disconnected from him which is appalling but it's it can happen so you can't assume just because this guy's moving and signed and wonders he's like christ right you cannot assume that uh, each of the beatitudes is a mountaintop that leads from the first peak to the last peak each one getting taller into heavenly bliss we arrive at these summer summits through first the acquired virtues and then the infused virtues, and then finally leading to the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit, infused and matured, manifesting into the full fruitfulness of the kingdom on the earth. So that 
paragraph J is kind of the summary of this whole series. It kind of gives you the, the whole summary. And um, the seven Beatitudes correspond to the seven gifts of the Spirit. And so uh, Luis Martinez, in this book that I'm getting a lot of this from, called The Sanctifier, he shows how this works more in detail, but this is just kind of an overview. But like the first, the Beatitude of Detachment, the poor in spirit, corresponds to the gift of the fear of the Lord. So if you remember, like the fear of the Lord was not a servile fear, but a fear of being separated from the beloved. And so, um, you know, when we are perfectly detached and perfectly attached to him, we do not want to be separated from Christ, right? They couple each other. They go together. Um, The beatitude of meekness corresponds to godliness or piety. Okay, meekness is... um, is the virtue that quiets our irascible nature of anger. <laughs> and um, we want to, a lot of times in our human nature, we want to possess things by force, right? When we're not meek at all, we're going, you know, which is why there's wars in the earth. People want to possess things, right? Um, but this is not God's way. And, um, I heard someone describe it like this, that that scripture, and I never thought of this scripture like this before, but the violent take it by force, they they saw that as the violent take it by force. Like the violent of the earth, right, will take things by force, but that's not God's way. God's going to give the inheritance of the earth to the meek, the ones who don't take it by force. He's going to give them, he's going to give them, let them inherit the earth, right? The meek will be the ones who are, happy to wait for God's timing. They're the ones happy to wait to not take things by force. And the meek are ones that are unoffendable. So they they um, have an unoffendable nature. The beatitude of mourning corresponds to the gift of the knowledge of God. So the gift of tears or mourning, it allows us to see rightly that everything is vanity except for Christ. So it gives you knowledge of what's really true. Um, let's see. Where am I? The beatitude of justice, which is also righteousness, corresponds to the gift of divine might or fortitude. So if you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, right, hunger to be like him, he's going to answer that with divine might. Um, So those two are coupled together. The beatitude of uh, mercy corresponds to the gift of counsel. Um, And there's so much on this, and I didn't write it down, but mercy is very uh, infinite and so huge in um, the ways of God. Mercy is what allows us, if we're infused with it, it allows us to love our enemies. Mercy has so much power in it because it, it is so, we don't have anything in us really in our human nature that is that way. It's so God, it's so heavenly and godly that to be infused with mercy, you can do things like love your enemies. 
Um, the beatitude of light or the pure of heart that can see clearly corresponds to the gift of understanding. The beatitude of love, which is martyrdom, is the summary and consummation of all the beatitudes and it corresponds to the gift of wisdom. And then I just um, wrap it up with this quote. And this is kind of the contrast, you know, heaven and earth right here. Pain is the final word of love on the earth as unfailing joy is of love in heaven. If love steps majestically over the seven mountain peaks, pain must tint them with its mysterious color. Pain is the richness of poverty, the refinement of gentleness, the divine touch of tears, the grandeur of justice, the unction of mercy, the purity of light, and the fullness of love. So, um, and all of that you can see Christ. You know, when he came to the earth, he was... I don't think there was a day in his life that he wasn't filled with pain and joy all intermingled at the same time. You know, sorrow at everything he saw around him that was sorrowful, but also filled with complete heavenly bliss at the same time. So it's so interesting how he could encompass all of it. And and just coming down here, his very being, he basically... Um, I almost want to say absorbed it all into himself on the cross. You know, everything, all of the pain, all of the sorrows, all of the, everything that it was part of the fall, he just came and just took it all into himself. And then from that place, you know, he went to the grave and then he was resurrected. And now what's coming out of him... <laughs> right, is that fullness, that heavenly fullness, that heavenly bliss, right, that what he wants to impart into us, he wants to give us heaven on earth in our inner man, so that no matter what's going on here, like we don't see, um, in the days to come when he's ruling and reigning on the earth, we're going to see the full manifestation of him taking over the earth, but right now he's taking over souls, <laughs> you know, he's taking over our hearts, He's maturing us so that we are so in agreement with him that we can be in agreement with him even when we see crazy stuff in the earth. Like right now I'm, I'm um, in the classes at IHOP where they have the Center for End Time Biblical Studies and Mike has the three-year program where you go through the 150 chapters in the Bible on the end times. Well, they just kind of started back up again. They've already been through three years, and now they're starting it again. So I jumped in on it. And so I've been listening to the messages through Isaiah. And um, one of the main points that he makes in Isaiah is that there's a principle that God uses evil nations as his rod of punishment to other nations. Like he does that. You know, and that's a principle throughout scripture. It offends people, right? It offends our hearts. However, then he judges them for the evil they did, right? And in all of this, he is about doing the least severe means to bring about the greatest harvest without um, violating anybody's free will. You know, it's still the least severe means. It's like he knows exactly what needs to be done to get at men's hearts. 
And it, it might seem severe to us, but it's only the least severe means because he knows exactly what needs to be done to save those that can be saved and bring us into fullness and maturity. So it's all in love and out of love. He can't do anything except for out of love. Like, because he is love. Like it's impossible for him to do anything except for with a motive of love. So when we know that and we trust his leadership and we know he's good and we know he has the best for us at his, in his heart, then we can begin to get an agreement with him with what he's going to do in the earth, which is shake everything that can be shaken. We need that agreement. We need to know how good he is as a leader and be in agreement with his leadership so that we can be fully in when there's going to be cause for offense, right? Because people won't understand, and many Christians won't understand, and they will fall away. Um, and so now is the time to really just get rooted and grounded because we're seeing shakings. You know, we're definitely seeing the beginning, the beginnings of birth pangs, if not a little further down the road. You know, I don't know where we're at exactly, but it's pretty alarming, right? It's alarming when you can't get into a restaurant unless you show a vaccine card. Mm. What? Right? Yeah. Everything's just, it's getting more and more crazy. (laughs) You know? I'm not saying that, I don't believe this vaccine is the mark of the beast. But do you see how things get more and more controlling? Like government control, right? You can see how it would be like, you can't buy or sell unless you do what we want you to do. Right, and it's all just kind of step by step by step that leads us to that that kind of thing where we're getting more and more right under that control, and so we need to know we really are controlled by Christ. We need to know that He's promised us He's going to feed us, He's going to clothe us. We don't need to worry about those things, right? Matthew chapter six. He's promised us that he loves us much more than a sparrow that he sees that dies, right? He loves us so much more than that. He's promised us many, many things, and we can, we can be okay, right? I mean, it's easy to get into fear and worry about, how am I going to do this or how am I going to do that? How, how are the processes of life going to work if, we're not, if we don't have the grocery store? You know? God's going to help us. He's not going to leave us as orphans. I don't know how it's all going to work, but I know we can trust him. Like, I know he's good and we can trust him and we can start getting grounded now. And that's why what we're doing in this prayer room is super important. Because we're getting these kinds of things. We're getting rooted and grounded in the place of prayer, knowing what God thinks and feels about us, knowing we're his favorite, knowing he loves us, right? It's a place where we can get peace. <laughs> we can come into this room and go, okay, Lord, wash over me. Right? And these corporate places of prayer are going to become probably cities of refuge in the future. Amen. Because more and more people will get in the place of prayer and they will become prayer places, you know, where there's going to be light and darkness in the earth, you know. There's going to be certain cities that will be very light and others that will be very dark. And that's just, I can just see that happening, you know. And so all of this, you know, Zechariah 4.10, it's the beginnings, right? But don't despise it, the Lord says, right? 
Don't despise the day of small beginnings, right? I rejoice to see the plumb line, the, the beginnings of building global prayer. I rejoice to see it, says the Lord. And he's going to bring it to fullness. Malachi 111, you know, in every place, incense is going to go up in a pure offering. In every place. That's not happening right now. But it will be happening in the future. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and close this up. And then I'd love to open it up and hear from you if you have any reflections on this series on tonight's message or any of the messages or or if you have a testimony or something to share or whatever's on your heart I want to take some time to to do that so Lord we just thank you for your word and we thank you for transformation in our inner man and Lord we desire to to position ourselves before you Lord to gaze upon you in the place of prayer and to begin to receive of this fullness that you have because you send out of these seven eyes the seven spirits of God are sent out and we desire to be those hearts that are watching and waiting for you that are positioned that we might receive a spirit of wisdom that we might receive a spirit of revelation that we might receive a spirit of counsel a spirit of divine might, a spirit of the knowledge of God and of godliness, and a spirit of the fear of the Lord. God, I pray that we could receive, that we could be in agreement with what you're doing and receive these infused gifts that we might become Christ-like in the earth. I just ask you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.